Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. I was, I was so excited to preach that I forgot my mic. <laughs> so in the middle of the dark, I'm like, hey, get me my mic. <laughs> but I'm here. I don't even need a mic sometimes because I can shout pretty loud. But, you know, it just it, it saves my voice a little bit. Right. But then I don't have to shout with, with, with the mic, so it's, it's much better. Amen? Because who wants to be shouted out for the next 10 minutes? Or, well, let's, let's not kid ourselves. It's going to be longer than 10 minutes. Every, come on, come on. Well, hey, um, I don't know if you noticed this. You may or may not even uh, had a chance to kind of dial into this. But uh, yesterday we had a, a beautification day around here at the church. And, you know, I love it when the saints of God spend time uh, taking care of the things that God has given us. And we spent time just loving on this, this place that the Lord has given us. And we were able to do some touch-ups and paint and clean the walls. And, and I don't know if you noticed, we got new bushes out there. Like we've got these evergreen trees or whatever those are. And, you know, and, and it, it just looks so much better. Uh, and I just want to say thank you for all of you that participated in that. Um, it really is making a difference uh, when people come to our house and they see that we're taking care of it. Because you've heard me say this before, is if we will be faithful with little, God will, in his word he says this, he will give us much. And so as we faithfully steward what he's given us, we then are able to receive more because he knows that we'll be responsible with it and that we'll use it wisely, and that we'll be good stewards of it. And so thank you for participating in that. And that that is a spiritual principle that I want to spend a little time on today, actually, uh, as we think about owning things and as we think about stewarding things. Uh, and I just want to draw your attention to something. This series that we're in called The Blessed Life was, is really the idea of a pastor by the name of Robert Morris. And, and he wrote a book. And, and I would just submit this book to you. If you've never read it, I'd encourage you to pick it up. It is a transformative read. If you will allow the words that are in it to penetrate your heart, it'll help you understand something very, very important to God. And that is that God is the most generous being on the planet And that he has called us to emulate that in this world. And when we grab hold of that and start living that out, what happens is we actually start to experience what's called the blessed life. Now, what does that mean? The blessed life is simply this, that you have the supernatural power of God working for you. Anybody not want that? Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, no, everybody's like, yeah, I need that. I want that. I want the supernatural power of God working in my life. And that's what it means to experience the blessed life. And so we're going to be spending a few weeks talking about that. If you missed last week, you can go ahead and, and check that out on our app or online. But, but, but I do want to specifically just give you a kind of a summary. Basically, last week, we were talking a lot about the heart. And that when our heart is right, our hands will do the right things. Does that make sense? And so when your heart is right before the Lord, you will then do things with your hands that God has called you to do. Uh, You won't be stingy with them. You won't hold back when you're supposed to be releasing. You'll do the things because your heart is right. And how does our heart get right with God? How do we get right with God? One of the ways that I know is foolproof is you come face to face with what Jesus has already done for you. And you just spend a little time staring at the cross And you just spend a little time thinking about three days later that he beat sin and death for you. He did everything for you. 
And so everything that we do should come from a position of gratitude because of what Jesus has done for us. Does that make sense? And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking, building on that idea today. But before I do, I want to draw your attention to something. We receive an offering twice a year here at the church, a special offering. We do one in May and we're doing one in December. And so one of the things I want to just draw your attention to is that on December 5th, we will have what's called a legacy offering. Now, if you don't know what that is, I want to share that with you. The legacy offering currently, as it's earmarked, is that any funds that go into that fund will be used to help us buy a new house if that makes sense. So we currently are releasing this space. God has given us this. We've we've been blessed to be here because if you don't know our story, before we were here, we were setting up and tearing down every weekend in a movie theater. And we did that for many years. We were portable for seven years. And I don't know if you know this, but but I like the idea of owning our own home someday, just like you would if you were maybe you're a new married or you've been saving up for a new house. That's kind of what we're doing is we're putting some money back so that at the right moment, at the right time over the next three years, God is going to give us something that we can then take hold of and we are going to have the funds to be able to do it. And so that's the thing that we're trying to do. And so as you begin to think about December, uh, think about what you might give. Now, what I'm asking you not to do is cannibalize your tithe. Because see, your tithe, and I'm going to talk about that, your tithe is for the house of the Lord. It's, it's to be given to the Lord first and, 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 it, and it's supposed to be there. Okay, the offering is over and above the tithe. So just remember this tithe offering. And I'll talk about this, but you have to get a hold of this because what I don't want you to do is siphon off your tithe because your tithe is where the blessing is. Your tithe is what actually redeems everything else. And so you got to make sure you get this right. So I just want to make sure that you're clear as you begin to pray about it, that whatever it is that you feel like the Lord has called you to do, do that in December, but make sure you honor him by first giving him the tithe, then give him special offerings so that we can continue doing the work that God has called us to do in the city. And if none of that makes sense to you right now, that's okay, because I will spend a little time on it today, because I do believe that there is some confusion about this in the, in the house and in the body of Christ. And so, like I said, we'll spend a little bit more time on that. But I know that I want to be able to, in the next three years, um, when the opportunity presents itself, wouldn't it be cool if we had the cash to be able to do what God has called us to do. Just because we were willing to put some money back and say, Lord, you bless it. You, you do what you're going to do. And so that's what we're going to be doing. And if you'd like to participate in that, December 5th is when we're going to be receiving that offering. And, and you'll hear more about it as we go. But just wanted to share that with you. All right. Well, let's jump into week two of The Blessed Life. Week two of The Blessed Life. And oh, oh I do want to just remind you, we do have some copies of this out in the lobby. Uh, and so we'll, we'll give this to you at cost. If you, if you want to buy it, you can get it. It's right out there in the lobby. Uh, uh, if you go to the, where the cafe is, it's right next to there. There's some books available. So if you want to get that, you can do that. Um, and uh, if you don't have the money to get it, we'll give it to you for free. Just take it because we want to get this deposited in your life because we believe God is going to shape you and form you in it so that you can do the things that God has called you to do. All right. Well, here we go. Let's jump in to week two of The Blessed Life. Now, I'm assuming you know what it means to be an owner of something. Yes? Like, if you own something, you know what it means. Now, now it is true that, like, sometimes we think we own stuff, but we really don't own stuff. You know what I mean? Like, the bank owns it, but we say it's ours. 
You know what I'm getting at, right? But you know the difference. You know the difference of like when you own it, you own it. It's yours. And you can do whatever you want with it because it's yours, right? Make sense? Now, if you're stewarding something, you may not be the owner of it. Matter of fact, there's a good chance you're not the owner of it. In other words, that somebody else owns it and your job is to steward it well. Your job is to make sure that you take care of it so that, you know, it, it, it maybe brings a certain yield back or, or that you just steward it well so that it's cared for, that it doesn't get broken or you know what I'm talking about. And, 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 and I know what it feels like to own something and I also know what it feels like to steward something. So there's a particular person in our church that one time allowed me to borrow their car. Okay, and, and I was going to take a, a, a bishop out for dinner. I was going to treat him. You know what I mean? I wanted to treat this man of God well. And so I, at the time, I didn't have a very nice car. And so I asked, could I borrow somebody else's car? And so I borrowed uh, this, this particular person's car. And I pulled up in luxury, you know, and I it gave him, like, hey, come on, Bishop. Get, you know, get in this fancy car. Now, I didn't say it was my car. I didn't say that. But I wanted to treat him well. And, 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 and so the thing that I knew, though, in the back of my mind is I didn't own this car. Right. I, I didn't own it. And so I had to make sure I stewarded it well. I had to take care of it. And can you imagine if I would have broke it? Like, can you imagine like if I would have like ran it into a pole or something like it would have it, 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 like it would have been just so defeating. Right. So deflating. Like I, I was supposed to care for this and I don't own it. And and, and and you get that dynamic. You understand what I'm saying. Uh, and, 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 and I can't imagine if I would have returned it back to him broken or beat up or, you know, whatever. And, and, and so, so the thing that, that I'm trying to draw your attention to today is the dynamic between owning something and stewarding something. And understanding that this dynamic exists in the spiritual. This dynamic exists specifically when it comes to all of the resources that we have as individuals and as a church. Because the thing that we drew our attention to last week is that everything we own, everything that we have is a gift from God. Like, that's what's real. That's what the Bible teaches. And so, you know, the thing we have to fully understand is that every dollar, every talent, every ounce of what I have is actually a gift from God. And my job is not to say I own it. My job is to say I am stewarding it for the Lord. Does that make sense? And that is a principle that the Bible teaches that, that we have to understand fully. Now, within that, there's some conversations about, well, how much is mine? <laughs> how much is God's? And then how, do we how are we supposed to divvy this thing up? Well, it all starts from this position. It's all his. But if it starts there, God then teases out some nuances that we need to understand in the spiritual if we're ever going to fully understand what it means to live the blessed life. And here's the principle that I want you to get today. And it's very simple. It's very straightforward. Is that my perspective of ownership determines my posture of obedience. Let me say that again. My perspective of ownership determines my posture of obedience. Now, what does that mean? Well, if, if I understand that God owns it all, then my posture of obedience is, it's his anyway, 
And whatever he tells me to do with it, I'm going to do it. Does that make sense? Now, if you think it's yours, what happens is things get a little off, if you know what I mean. So, so when God comes to you and says, hey, Daniel, I, I, I've just had this thought. There's this, there's this thing happening down in El Salvador. There's this thing going on that, that I, I just want you to do something about. You know? And so what I'd like you to do is take a certain portion or percentage of your income and give that to that particular thing. And now, what I say, if I actually believe that, that it's mine, is, oh, man, Lord, are, are you sure that's what you want me to do? Am I hearing right? Matter of fact, let me get some friends around me to make sure that I'm hearing right from the Lord. You know, I need a few people because hopefully somebody in the group says, no, I don't think that's what the Lord's doing. And so what happens is we start to think about it that way. But if, but if the owner comes to you and says, hey, I need you to release some money over here, what do you do? Sure. Why? Your money. Do you understand that perspective? Do you understand how that shifts our perspective and it actually leads to us being obedient to what God tells us to do, even if what he tells us to do is crazy, extravagant? outside of our faith, outside of our even our own ability to see it come to pass. If God says do it, we say yes, sir, simply because he owns it all. Do you understand how this sets up the tone for everything that we're really going to talk about today is that when we understand that he is the owner of it all, it changes our perspective. It helps us understand that we have to have a posture before the Lord that allows for God to do whatever God wants to do with his resources. This is so important to understand because I think it's easier to spend other people's money. Don't you? I mean, it just is. I mean, just ask the government. And that's not a political statement. They just like to spend money. And so my point is, is that we know what it feels like to spend somebody else's money. We don't hold on to it as, as tightly. And this is what I'm trying to get you to see. Be like that with God. Understand that it's his money and be as extravagant as God wants you to be. You know why? Because it's unending. The Bible says when you get this right, you will overflow. If you don't get this right, you won't overflow and you'll always be counting dollars and cents. And you won't be seen the extravagance, unlocking the reward of a generous life. And this is what I want you to see. So I have three things I want to tell you today. Three things out of this big idea of what it looks like for us to change our perspective and get this right. Three things that I believe will help us live the blessed life. It starts here. And the first thing is this. And I just said it. It all belongs to God. Just straightforward, very simple. Psalm 24, 1 says this, right? The earth is the Lord and everything. Everybody say Everything everything in it the world and all its people belong to him do you see the possessiveness of that we belong to him he is the owner of all things and we are included in that now I love the fact that I'm owned by God I love the fact that everything that the Lord has given me helps me understand very clearly that it's all his. And if I start there, I can begin to experience and build a life on the blessings of God. Let me read this to you in, in Psalm 50, 10 through 12. Listen, for all the animals of the forest are whose? 
Mine. <laughs> this reminds me of that Disney, those, those dumb birds in Nemo. Mine. Mine, mine. <laughs> look, look. For all the animals of the forest are mine. And I own the cattle on a thousand hills. This is God speaking. Verse 11. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are what? Mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Like God's not like, hey, I really need to call him. I don't know where my food's coming. He says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you for all the world is mine. And everything, everybody say everything. everything. Everything in it. Do you get it? It all belongs to the Lord. And, and this is so important that we see this. How, can you imagine, just for a second, how much more generous would we be if we actually believed this? If we lived our life in this way, how much more generous would we be with the things that God has given us? I love the way that Abraham Cooper said this. He, he said this. He said, there is not a square inch of the whole domain of the human experience over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Get that. It's all his. And when we get this right, oh, it starts to unlock a principle in our lives that is absolutely game changing. See, it all belongs to God. But, but, listen, listen, this is important. You get this. It all belongs to God. But here's the second thought I want to have for you is the first belongs to God. See what I did there? I moved it from everything belongs to God to a very important principle that the Bible teaches is that the first thing belongs to God. The first fruit belongs to God. The first of your uh, harvest belongs to God. The first of your animal, the first of your tree, the first of your apple, all of these things, we have to understand that God not only wants us to understand that, that everything belongs to him, but the first of everything belongs to him. Now, why does that matter? Who, 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 why does it matter that God is first? Well, you probably know this. God is interested in worship. He's interested in you being uh, a worshiper of him. And what he wants to make sure is clear in all of our lives is that we never get to a place that we think something else is more important than him. Now, this is subtle. This is a subtle shift that many of us need to make. Many of us need to look and examine this because this is where the blessing is. This is actually where it starts. And so I want you to get this. I so want you to grab hold of this because the, the thing about God is that he set up a plan that actually tests us. It's called the tithe. See, the tithe is a test. And what happens is when God says tithe, which is a 10%, literally means 10%, it either reveals our willingness to acknowledge that this is true, or it reveals our willingness not to have this placed in our life. Does that make sense? It's a test. It, it, it doesn't mean you're bad or good. It doesn't mean God loves you any more or less. It simply is a test. Just like if you were in school, your professor comes out and says, hey, today we have a pop quiz and everybody goes, ah, right? Or maybe you knew there was a test, but you didn't study for it and you forgot. And all of a sudden the professor says, hey, there's a test. And you're like, ah. And I think that's what God has done with the tithe. Is it actually paints a very clear picture for us to understand this idea. And that is, who is first? Who is first in my life? 
Who do I think is first? Is Visa first in my life? Is, is the cable bill first in my life? Is AT&T first in my life? Is Cardinal tickets first in my life? I don't know. But what's first in our life? And the only way we know whether something is first or not first is we put it first. <laughs> and the order matters to God. First matters to God. And so we have to get this. It's so important we understand this. Let me read a few things to you. This is out of Exodus 13:2. Listen. Dedicate to me every what? Firstborn. Firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals, what? Belongs to me. The possessiveness of it. It belongs to me. So he's the owner of it, right? So he's the owner of all things. It all belongs to him, but he wants to clarify something for us. It's not just that everything belongs to him. He wants us to understand very specifically that the first, the first belongs to him. He wants to be put in a position of first. And why is that important? Because he wants our worship. He wants to make sure that nothing is competing for his time, attention, or resources, or anything else. Listen to this in Exodus. It, it doubles down and even makes it more clear. Listen to this in Exodus 23, 19. The first of the first fruits. So it's first fruits, but he says the first of the first fruits of your land shall, shall what? Shall bring, you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Do you notice it doesn't say give? It says bring. And the reason it doesn't say give is because giving is something you do. Giving is something you choose to do. It's an offering. But when you bring the tithe, when you bring the first fruits, you are bringing it back to God. And really what you're doing is returning back to God, the one who already owns it. So the, the Bible's clear here is that we are bringing it to the, we're not giving it, we're bringing it to God and making sure that the house of God has everything that it needs. See, you can't give what's not yours to give. That's why that shift is important. Because if we think it's ours, we won't give it. See, we have to shift and start to believe that it's all God's anyway. We can't give what's not ours to give. We have to bring it and return it to God. Listen to this in Genesis 4. Uh, this goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible. And I don't know if you've ever read this story between Cain and Abel. And usually when we read the story of Cain and Abel, we're really focused on the fact that this is where the first murder in the Bible occurs. And it's a horrible situation between two brothers. But I think sometimes what happens is we miss even what's happening in that. Why did he murder him? Why, why, why did Cain kill Abel? Listen, listen, this is in Genesis 4. If you know the story, I'll expound on it. If you don't, this, this will tell you about it. Genesis 4, first book of the Bible. Genesis 4, 3 through 4, listen to this. And in the process of time, okay, stop. Just note, process of time. Process of time can, I don't know how long of a period of time that was. But it says, the Bible says, in the process of time. Important. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering, not a first, not a first, brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, it contrasts with Abel. Listen, so you got Cain who brought an offering in the process of time. Get it? Then in verse four, the Bible says, Abel also brought of the first fruit of his flock 
and its fat. And then watch this. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain for his offering. Now, I don't know if you've ever read that and said, man, that stinks. That's harsh. Like, why did God choose Abel's offering and not Cain's? I mean, what did Cain do that was so bad that God said no? Well, it's right there in the text. Cain didn't offer a first fruit. In the process of time, we don't know how long it was. In the process of time, he was not eager to bring the first fruit. So he brought an offering, but it was in the process of time. But what we see about Abel is that his was of his first Of his first, do you see that? He brought the first of his flock, the firstborn of his flock. And it says, the Bible says, the Lord respected Abel's offering. And you know what I love? Matter of fact, did you see that? And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. It started with the person. Did you notice that? God respected Abel because he offered a first fruit. And I don't know about you, but I want to be respected by the Lord. I want the Lord to respect me. I want the Lord to say, hey, that's a, that guy right there, he's a stand-up guy. You can count on him. Enemy, you can't touch him because you know what? Even if you tried, he's a stand-up guy. He's going to make sure that he's always given me what's rightfully mine. He's a first fruit kind of guy. That's important. And so that's what God is saying. And he's saying to Cain, is Cain, you're not. Because in the process of time, you forgot. In the process of time, you didn't bring to me what was actually rightfully mine. I love that God respects the person and not the gift. Do you see it? He respects the person when the person does what God wants, not the gift, because the gift isn't the point. It's about your heart. It's about the fact when your heart is right, you know what happens? Your hands will do it. When your heart is right, you'll do the right thing. When the heart is right, when that check comes in, you give it. Why? Because you know it belongs to the Lord. And you never want to be in a situation where, where you are holding on to something. And we'll get to that to a second. You'll never want to be in a situation where you're holding on to something that's not yours. Now, I know that there are some people that, that are biblical scholars in here. I mean, I can see it on your face. I mean, some of you are like really schooled in the Bible. And, and you're thinking in the back of your head right now. It's like, wait a second. This is all Old Testament stuff. I mean, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian. I live by grace. Any of y'all do that? No, you probably don't. But, 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 you know, and so there's this this tension. It's like, well, that's Old Testament stuff. You know, that doesn't have anything to do with God now. Look, here's the thing I want you to see. This is so important that you see this. Did you know that the tithe, what we were just talking about, predates the law? The law that says tithe, it predates the law. So it came before. So when you say, well, that's part of the law. No, it ain't. It got incorporated into the law, but it actually was from the very beginning. When God said first fruits, that's what he was talking about. He was talking about giving that portion of your earnings, that portion of your harvest, that portion of your uh, whatever that was then going to the Lord. And you lived in such a way that that happened. It's so important that we see this, that Cain and Abel was 400 or 4,000 B.C. And the, the law of Moses didn't show up until 1500 B.C. That's a lot of time that that existed even before the law. This is important, guys. See, God doesn't change. Did you know that? Like the Bible says that, that God doesn't change. Matter of fact, the other thing that, that we know is that God, uh, 
he, he has his own thoughts. He doesn't need to come to us and say, hey, can you help me with something? He doesn't ever, there's never a point in his palace where he's sitting there and he says, you know, I just had a thought that has never occurred to me. He's never said that. Because every thought has already occurred to God. Does that make sense? So, I mean, he's sovereign. He doesn't change. He, he's always had the thoughts. He didn't need to come to us to find out the thoughts. He had the thoughts. All this is real about God. And here's the other thing that God won't be. God will never do this. He will never do this. He will never be second. He doesn't change. He has his own thoughts. He superintends the world. He is over it all. He's all-knowing. He, he has it all. But the other thing that's so important we see that God will never compete. He will never compete. And he will never, ever choose to be second in your life. That's why first is so important. Listen to this in Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. Listen, my thoughts, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, the Bible says. This is God. And my ways are far beyond anything that you could imagine. So anything that you could imagine, whatever you're imagining, God is way beyond it. Verse 9, for just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. My ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I take solace in that. See, God's not going to ever take second place. He doesn't want a second place offering. Let me explain it this way in a way that we can all understand. You ever had leftovers? I hate leftovers. I know some of you love them. You're like, ah, put it in there. We'll eat it later. I'm like, oh, it's never going to be the same. And I know you, you probably disagree with me. You think leftovers are great and you just heat it up right and it's going to be great. And maybe, oh, it enhances the flavor. <laughs> I don't like it. Now imagine this. Imagine if, you, if I was coming over to your house after hearing this sermon. <laughs> and I come over to your house and you have the audacity to pour, to pull leftovers out of your refrigerator and try and pass them off as first fruit, knowing full well they're second. Now, you may be able to pull it over on me, you know, but you know in your heart. You know in your heart what you did, that you offered your pastor leftovers. And see, that's what we do sometimes with the Lord. Is we don't give him first. We give him the leftovers. See, we go ahead and pay the cable bill before we pay God. We pay the visa before we pay. See, we pay the car payment before we give first to the Lord. And I know that you think I'm just kind of messing with the order a little bit. But I'm not. I'm trying to tell you where the blessing is. See, when our life is submitted to the one that owns it all. When we live with a first fruit approach, it's a game changer for us. Listen to this. I don't know if you remember the story of Joshua, but so Moses has died, okay? Moses is dead. Joshua takes over, and it's right there because God didn't allow Moses to go into the promised land. So he blesses Joshua, and he says, Joshua, you're going to be my guy. And so he's the one that leads them into the promised land. And if you know the story, perhaps you've heard it, you know, or maybe you've sung the song, you know, Joshua, How's it go? But Jericho. Oh, he fought the battle of Jericho. Come on. Nobody? Y'all need to go back to Sunday school class. What's wrong with you? Yeah, see? They got it. 
But, but Joshua is leading the army, right? And, and, and God tells him to circle that, that encampment or that, you know, the city of Jericho, circle it. And they do that. And, and eventually the walls come down. Miraculous things happen. But here's the thing you got to see. Listen to this. In Joshua 6, 19, listen to this. Everything, this is the Lord speaking. He says, everything made from silver, gold, and bronze or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Wait a second. Why does God want everything? I mean, why would he want to take everything? He already just told us he just wants the first fruit. So why is he taking everything? This is the thing we don't see is this is the first city. Do you understand? See, this is the first city in the conquering that they would occur, that would occur for them to receive the promised land. And so it's here that God wants the first of the first. Does that make sense? He wants the first of the city. And so what he says is, I want it all. I want it all, and I want it all brought in, and, and, and that, it was clear. Everybody's like, yep, got it. Uh, God wants it all. Everybody got it? Everybody? Everybody? Yes, we've got it. But do we have it? <laughs> do we have it? Listen, listen. In Exodus 7.1, we're told of this. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regards to the devoted things. So the things that were set aside for God, the holy things. Stay with me. This is so important. A man named Achan. You ever heard of Achan? Achan decided to do something else. So there was a man named Achan who stole the dedicated things. So the Lord was what? Very angry with the Israelites. Now, why would the Lord be angry with the Israelites? Because somebody stole what was his. And so Achan is lifted up as this thief that has taken from God what he said is rightfully mine. So Jericho is my city. It's the first city of all the cities that will be conquered in the promised land. And that comes to me and Achan thought different. Listen, listen, listen. And then in Joshua 7, 11, Israel, it said, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded for them to keep. Was it unclear? Everything was supposed to come into the house. Wasn't unclear. And so something happened where this command was violated. Listen, they have taken some of the devoted things set apart and holy. They have stolen. They have stolen. They have lied. And they have put. They have put. Their own. They've taken the Lord's possessions. As their own. That's I mean. So if you keep it in your possession and you don't try to bring it to the Lord, the Bible says that's what? Stealing. Are we okay? Now I know if you're a first time guest, you're hating this probably. I came to church and now this is what they're talking about. The Daniel Downer today. But guys, I think if we get this revelation, the, the, this book and, and the Bible says that we'll be blessed. So whatever down you're feeling, that's okay. Because you can go a little down to go all the way up. So let's go a little down here. Let's, let's look at what's real. Am I stealing from the Lord? And see, that's what was happening in this case. And Achan was stealing from the Lord. And the thing that I hate about this, this, if you ever read this story, is that because of what Achan did, it affected everybody. 
It wasn't just isolated to Achan. It affected everybody. And, and here's the point I'm trying to get at. It's the same today as it was then. Because the Bible says if we will bring into the storehouse what is rightfully God's, what will happen is that we will have everything that we need. Everything that the church ever needed. We will never have to take a special offering ever again. If we will do. And so when we say it doesn't affect anything, that's a lie. It does affect things. It affects the bottom line. And the bottom line doesn't lie. So important we see this. And so God was trying to get us to see. And so it's the first. Listen to this in Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. I got to speed up a little bit. Come on. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first part, right? The first and the best part of your income. Then every dimension of your life will overflow with blessings. The supernatural power of God working on your behalf. From an uncontainable source of joy. Oh, I love that. I love that God has an uncontainable source of joy that he wants to bring into our life. And when we offer him the first portion, what happens is he then works to redeem the rest. See, when you give him 10, the first, he actually, that's because see, that's where the redemption is. You start there and he redeems everything else. And it's always better. It's always better to live on 90% that's blessed than 100% that's what? Cursed. So important we get this. But what happens is we get frustrated with God. We're like, well, you know, that doesn't make any sense to me. I live under grace or whatever we, we come up with. I don't have it. I can't. I can't. I can't. I get it. But I need to be clear here. This is so important that you pass this test. Because if you don't pass the test, the blessing of the rest doesn't come. Because the blessing is on the first. Does that make sense? So important you get this. Last thought. So we've talked about it all belongs to God. We've talked about the first belongs to God. Here's the last thought. The tithe belongs to God. Now the tithe just simply means tenth. A tenth portion. It's, a, it's very literally that. It's the first tenth portion unto the Lord. And so this belongs to God. Now, I've, I've interacted with people all the time, and they'll say, you know, Pastor, that's, that's, that's Old Testament, or, ah, do you think that really works? You know, here's what I'm saying. We have to look at our hearts. And one of the things we've got to examine is, why do I have an issue with this? Like, why am I struggling with this? Like, if you really were to sit down and say, you know, what is it that keeps me from honoring God in this way? Now, I don't know what it is for you, But I do know this, if you don't pass this test, you will not experience the fullness of what God has for you. And that's as straight and as strong as I can bring it. Now, you're going to make it to heaven (laughs) because you're saved by grace. You're not saved because you tithe, you understand. But you tithe because you're saved. You tithe because you want to. You tithe because of God is what he's done for you. You don't tithe because you have to. You tithe because you get to. You get to honor the one. And now let me zoom in just real quick. I don't know if you know this, but in the Bible, the word 10 always is associated with a test. So if you look throughout scripture, 10 is always associated with a test. So I'll give you a couple of examples. I'm going to rattle these off because you're not going to be able to follow me. But just if you want to take notes, I'll give them to you. The, the number of plagues. Remember the number of plagues? How many were there? Ten. See, God was testing Pharaoh. There was ten plagues. The number of commandments. How many are those? 
10. Do you get it? They're, they're, 10 is testing us the number of times Jacob waged uh, or Jacob's wages changed. Do you remember that? 10 times. Do you remember that? Maybe not. So 10 times his wages changed. The number of times God tested Israel in the wilderness. 10 times. Come on. Starting to make sense? The number of days Daniel was tested. 10. The number of virgins that were tested in Matthew 25. 10. You with me? The number of days of testing in Revelation. 10. See, 10 is associated with a testing. And I wonder if you've ever thought about why did God set it up this way? I think number one is it's just easy to remember. He's like, you know, sometimes my people get this messed up. I don't want to give them a hard formula. He's like, I'll make it easy. Ten. What, what's the number? Ten. It, not 9.5, not five, not two. What is it? Ten. It just makes it easy for us. Number two, uh, the reason why I, got, I, I think God set it up this way is I think he's trying to communicate that it's, a, a, it's the same across the board. Because it's a percentage. It's not that some, uh, this percentage makes it equal across the boards, if that makes sense. In other words, it's not the same amount, but it's the same obedience. It's not the same amount, but it's the same sacrifice. And so God set it as a percentage, and he sets that as the tone. And then finally, I've already told you that it means test. So every time, every time I see a 10, Every time I see this in the Bible, the question I have to ask myself, the question I see in my life is, here it is, am I passing the test? I didn't ask you to get 100% or, I didn't ask you to get 80% or 50% or 40% because that's not how it's measured. It's measured in tens. Are you passing the 10% test? And if you aren't, what are you going to do about that? What are you going to begin to do about that? Because if we don't get this right, this blessed life that I'm talking about doesn't begin to happen in my life. Now, I have so much more I could say on this, but I do want to share Malachi with you. I don't know if you've heard this, but this is a prophet, Malachi. Malachi says this in chapter 3, verse 6 through 12. I, the Lord, do not change. Remember we already established that? God doesn't change. So you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. So, so, so he's saying, because my promises are always true. I already told you you're my people, and I'm, I'm not going to let that go away. But then he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned from my decrees and have not kept them. Now listen to this. This word decrees is very simply this, principles of ordinary behavior. In other words, it's not extravagant. He's saying this is the basics. This is the meat and the potatoes. This is the milk of your faith. He's saying this is the ordinary things. He says, so, so, so you have not kept them, the Bible says. And what God is trying to get us to see is that we need to turn back because Malachi really is about turning back to God. There are three things that are happening in Malachi, turning back to him in worship, turning back to him in our families, and turning back to him in our finances. And so those are the things that are happening in Malachi. And all of a sudden, God starts to talk about this. And this is what he says in verse 7. He says, return to me. He doesn't say give to me. He says, return to me, because again, you're returning what is already God's. He says, return to me and I will return to you. This is the coolest part. This is a two way test. God has placed himself under a two way test. Get this. This is so cool. This is why God is so cool. Watch this. He says, return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, 
How are we to return? In verse 8, this is what we read. Will a man rob God? Uh Uh-oh. Wait a second. What are you saying? Rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you ask, how have we robbed you, Lord? (laughs) And he says, in the tithes and the offerings. I love that he includes both. I love that he includes the test, but then also anything he tells us to do over and above the test. I love that he includes both. Then he says in Malachi 3.9, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And so he paints this picture of blessing and cursing, right? Verse 10, listen, this is how you break it. Bring the whole tithe, the first tenth, bring the whole tithe, not any other, not a half tithe, no, the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be what? Food in my house. Remember when I said Achan's sin affected the house? See, when we're not doing our part, there's not enough food in the house to do the work that God has called us to do. And then this is the best part. Here's where the two-way is. Listen, God says, test me in this. So, so, so he's asking us to pay, pass a test. But then he says, also, test me in this. Now, why the Bible's so clear about this. You don't test God. What's wrong with you? But this is the only place in the Bible that God says, test me in this. And so God says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Only place. Then watch this. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough in your storehouse. Come on. Do you see? He's like, I will supernaturally power everything you do. If you will trust me in this, not just trust me, will you test me in it? Will you put your faith in this? Will you believe that I'm more than able? Come on, church. Let's not go back from this. Let's go forward to it. Let's trust God in our finances. Let's trust God with our first fruits. Love this. Malachi 11 goes on and says, this is where it gets. You are like, that's good. It gets better. Listen to this. Verse 11. And I will rebuke the devourer. So God will rebuke any devourer that is coming against you, your family, your fortunes, everything. God wants to rebuke the devourer for your sake. Then he says, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground. Nor shall the vines fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will be what? Blessed. And what does blessed mean? Supernatural power. Blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Come on. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you that you, that you, you absolutely rebuke the devourer. And I just want to say to somebody in here today, with as much love as I can muster, some of us are experiencing our finances being devoured right now because we haven't got this on our life yet. And my friends, God wants to rebuke that devourer off your life if you'll begin to do it his way. Leviticus 27.30 says this, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the field or fruit from the tree, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart for him as holy. 
Oh, it's so good, isn't it? So good. And if I had more time, I could go into even into the New Testament. Because somebody in the back of their mind right now is like, well, that's Old Testament, Pastor. Hebrews 7, 1 through 2, you read it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 2, see what Paul says about it. And then the man himself. What did Jesus say? Listen, I'll just read it to you. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And he calls them hypocrites. Jesus loved to call the religious people hypocrites. And he says, for you pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. And he's getting after him, isn't he? He's like, you've done all these things right, but you have neglected, you have neglected mercy and faith. And then you're thinking, where's he going to go with this? He says this, these you ought to have done. You should have done mercy. You should have done justice. But then watch what he says, without leaving the others undone. Do you think Jesus was here to take the tithe away? The Bible says that he is the fulfillment of the law. And it is still relevant for us today. And if it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have said it. So important. As we end, I want to share just a story from the Bible in Mark. I don't know if you've ever heard this story. Uh, It's called the widow's might. That's kind of the classic way of saying it. But there was a woman that had a little to give. And she comes into the kingdom or into the, uh, the temple and she's going to bring her offering into there, into the temple. And I, I wanted to read this to you. It's something I'd never seen before. Listen to this. In Mark 12, verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put. Do you get the picture? So there's a place that the offerings are being placed. Jesus is sitting across from it And he's sitting there and he's looking intently. Watch this. So he's sitting there and the offerings were put there. And and the Bible says, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Get this picture. Jesus is hanging out in the temple. He sits down and he's watching people go up to put their offering in the box. And every time someone goes up there, Jesus is looking right at them. He's watching. Now, I don't know what that does for you. I don't know how that makes you feel. But, but, but Jesus was watching. Now, why was he watching? Why was he looking? Why did he care? Clearly, this was a big deal to him. That he would take time to sit down and watch every person coming up and back, up and back, putting their offerings up and back, up and back. And he's watching. And he says, the Bible says, many rich people threw in large amounts. But this poor widow came and she put in two small copper coins worth only a few cents. And you know what Jesus does after seeing that? He pulls his disciples together and he says to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she has gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus is sitting by the bucket as people come giving their gifts. And then after this, he calls his disciples together and he gives them a lesson about this woman. He he makes it a lesson. He's like, do you see it? Let me teach you. 
Let me teach you a spiritual principle. And here's the thought I have for us, for us to consider. If Jesus was sitting by the box today, would he teach other people from the lesson that you're showing? Would he, would, we, would he pull his disciples aside and say, oh, my kid is getting it. Or would he not? Now look, here's the deal. I'm not asking you to feel guilty. I'm asking you to ask serious questions about this. Is am I willing to honor the Lord in this way? Because the Bible is so clear that God is watching. Listen to this. In Hebrews 7, 8, here mortal men receive tithes. So on earth, mortal men receive tithes and offerings. We create systems. We have buckets. We receive these. And then watch what Hebrews says. But there, so not here, but there. There is heaven. So, so in heaven, he, Jesus, receives them of whom it is witness that he lives. So, so, so what the Bible is saying is that God sees us and he not only sees us, but he is receiving it. So when you bring it to the bucket here, he is seeing it there. God is watching us. God is looking. Why? Because he looks all over the world to find people that he can trust. He's looking all over the world trying to find people that are really in, that are people that are willing to pass the test, people that are willing to give all to the Lord and recognize that it's all his anyway. So why is it a burden for me? Why is it really even a sacrifice for me? Because I live by faith and he's my provider and he owns everything anyway. So why in the world would I ever withhold anything from him? And so God, oh, would you receive it? Jesus, when you see me come to the bucket, would you be proud of your kid? So proud that you'd be willing to tell people about me like you did this woman. This woman has been told over and over and over and over in history because her heart was right. And her heart led to her giving with her hands because she trusted. She trusted. And guys, can I get real honest with you? Is that okay? Can we, can we just be real for a second? The church is established by God. It is the only vehicle that God has created to advance his kingdoms. You know that. And guess what he calls his church? His bride. Let me ask you this. Jesus is wanting us to take care of what? His bride. Jesus wants us to take care of his wife. He's interested. If it was your wife, would you not be interested? If it was your husband, would you not be interested to the point that you're like, hey, we got to make sure that she's taken care of. And people that reject the church and people that think the church isn't important or people that have issues with the church, you have issues with Jesus because that's his bride. And so for me and my house, and I, in this house, we will honor the Lord with our tithes. And we will honor him with our offerings. And I believe that his wife will be cared for. And she'll be healthy. And she'll be strong. She'll never be in need. And she'll have everything that she ever needed. Why? So that we can do exactly what God has called us to do. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good to us. Thank you for your word. 
I know that there are people in this room that are struggling a little bit, God. I just ask that you would begin to enrich and, and, and stir up whatever it is in them that's holding them back, God. But the bottom line is, and this is what we see in the scriptures, is that we're called to trust him. And so, Lord, we all want to pass the test. Would you help us? We want to honor you with our first fruits because we love you. So, Lord, would you help us with that? Anybody in here that wants to do that? Maybe you feel tension. Maybe you feel like you can't. Maybe you feel like you're so far in debt that you can't honor the Lord in this way. Just know that we want to help you. You can get out of debt so that you can be generous. There are principles that God wants to teach you to help you get there. But it takes a decision. It takes a start. It takes finally you saying in faith that you want this in your life. And so I just want to pray for anybody that's like that today. God, I thank you for each person in this room that desires to honor you with the first fruits of their labor. I pray in Jesus' name, Father, that you would make a way for that to happen, that you would stretch their faith, of course, but you would also help them take the steps that they need to take in order for this to come to pass, Jesus. We ask for it today. I also want to pray for anybody in the room today that would say that I, I, I want to trust the Lord, not just in my finances, but I want to trust him with my life. And so what I want to do is just real quick, I want to offer you the opportunity to respond to the gospel. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, to save the sick, to save those that are far from him. And, and I don't know where you'd put yourself today, but I want to pray for you. And so if you're here today and you'd like to take a step of faith, I'm going to pray a very specific prayer. And I'd love for you to agree with me in this prayer. Matter of fact, church, let's all pray this prayer together so no one's praying alone. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I need a Savior. Would you save me today? Will you be Lord of my life? Will you change me from the inside out? Will you help me to learn how to be generous? I choose this day to serve you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Can we celebrate anybody that was making it?